life is really short and that's what you really um, realize. You really realize that life is so short and when they go, you don't want to waste the opportunity that they never had. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing that keeps me going all the time is that one single thing. Hello, my name is Mate, and you have tuned in to the Inbetweeners Checkup. Um, I am here this evening with Amanda Loftus, who I had the pleasure of working with uh, some years ago. Um, we actually joined uh, Business OCG at the same time and did training together, and I had an opportunity to learn a bit more about her. And while we've both moved on uh, from that organization and our paths have kind of taken different uh, directions. Uh, at this time, we find ourselves sort of coming together uh, to have a bit of a chat um, with Amanda about uh, her situation, what she's been up to over the last little bit, and hopefully uh, for those listening, they can take something away from this uh, and apply it to their own lives. So I'm going to pass it over to you, Amanda, and you can tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Mate. Um... So my name's Amanda. I work as a contractor, actually. So I was in recruitment for many years and worked with Mate and a bunch of other amazing consultants. And um, I actually moved out of that field and went into HR and sort of risk management. And now I'm a consultant um, contractor working in the change management um, business architecture org design space, which is sort of quite uh, left field from starting off in recruitment. Um, and... Yeah, I've lived in Auckland for quite a number of years and moved to Wellington. I have a daughter who's 14, a teenager, so that um, keeps me pretty busy. And unfortunately, about almost a year ago, my husband actually passed away from cancer. So I've been through quite a um, massive journey with that and changing and adapting to my new life. And, um, you know, supporting someone with a terminal illness is just such a... Um, amazing journey to go through and it's boy is it tough so you know the people that do that are just absolutely incredible and the people that support you so hopefully today I can talk a little bit sort of about both of those things yeah 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 so I guess if we if we sort of look back at that whole situation uh when was it that your husband was first diagnosed 2016 it was April yeah, yeah. towards the end of April so he had actually, on reflection, across a number of years, he'd been really unwell, and we sort of never could put our finger on it. It was a really strange sort of situation, and um, what happened was he went to the doctors with a cold and came out with a really, really rare cancer, um, and within two weeks of his diagnosis, he had to have quite a major operation where they removed a tumour, so he had a cancer called um, synovial sarcoma, which only 2% or less than 2% of the population of the world get. So it's a very rare um, and difficult cancer to treat. Mm. So initially they thought it was um, treatable, so that was great. So he actually had two ribs removed, can you wow. believe, which um, had a massive scar from like one side to the other. We used to call it the shark attack scar. So anytime he had an opportunity to show anybody, he would, which was hilarious. But um, it was just really invasive. Um, mm. And the tumour was like the size of a cricket ball, so massive. Wow. And it had been growing under his rib. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty major. And then from there, he started chemotherapy. Mm. 
which was really tough. And he did that twice, actually, with a small remission in between. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you get to the stage where, you know, they tell you that it's terminal and nothing can be done. And that's really, really tough. That's that's a really tough conversation to have. Yeah. 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 And I guess, look, I mean, there's obviously that situation that, that's going on there um, for yourself, but at the same time, you, you've got a, a young daughter there who you're potentially trying to uh, manage through that process as well. How did you go about that, if I may ask? Yeah, sure. So I guess everyone has a different parenting style, right? So Mike and I, because Ella is our only child, we were sort of like the three musketeers. So yeah. Um, we were really open with her about everything um, and sort of kept her informed on each part of the stage. You know, she used to come in and um, to the hospital when Mike had treatment sometimes or appointments. Um, we never used to take her to everything. Um, but we took her to show her where he had chemo and we got her involved in the journey. She helped um, shave his head you know, to take his hair off and things like that, because it was really painful for her. Yeah. Um, I guess for us, we didn't want to get to the point where if he was terminal, which is where he ended up, unfortunately, that she, it was a really big shock to her. Yeah. So I guess from my professional experience, preparing lots of people, I've helped mentor many people and guide people through massive life changes. Mm. And the way that I always did it was just giving them a little bit of information at a time to get them prepared. And that yeah. really worked for Ella. Um, the other thing was trying to keep everything as normal as possible at home and, you know, stick to a routine, still do sleepovers, um, you know, have parties. There were some things that dad couldn't do because he was sick, but generally speaking, we just adapted our lives to make everything work. Yeah. Um, and that really helped her. But it, look, it was really tough for her. I've got to say her school and, um, the principal and all of her teachers were absolutely amazing and so to be really fair it takes a village it really is just not like one person that helps like a child get through it it's yeah. so many people yeah so if anyone's watching this um who has supported us thank you so much it's yeah, yeah really special as the parent that's left here it's very tough as well because you can't take the place of the parent that's passed. And so I've had to have those conversations with her and go, I'm really sorry. I wish your dad was here, but he's not. And I can't replace that. Yeah. Um, and kind of like help her work through her own grief and then get her separate support for that. Because there's going to be times in her life when she's an adult that I'm not going to be around to solve things for her. Yeah. So she really needs to build that toolkit herself. Yes, around um, you know she's very resilient but it's just working through those emotional times where she gets really overwhelmed by it and mm. I found that as a teenager too you know it's a pretty uh, turbulent time to go through in your life anyway right yeah. hormonal all these things going on um, you know starting college and learning a whole lot of new things um, I found that when she gets quite stressed the grief gets triggered at that point. So it's a little bit like having a glass that's full. And so her glass is half full a lot of the time. When she gets stressed out, it becomes full. Yeah. And then that's when the grief 
really hits her when she gets tired and when she gets really stressed. So I've started to like really look out for those signs um, and make sure that I talk to her about how she's feeling because, you know, kids sometimes are not very self-aware and they don't understand that their behaviors or, um, you know, the things that they're saying or the things that they're thinking are because of something, you know, they just act. Yeah. So it's about, you know, teaching her about self-awareness. Yeah. We, we can talk about the support that you've, you've given your child and those around you. I guess what sort of support was available to yourself? Yeah, that's quite fascinating, actually. So I've talked to a few people about this. So we were actually in the private system to start with because we had medical insurance with Southern Cross. So we, um, so Mike's surgery and everything like that was all private. So it wasn't through a hospital. And when you go through the public system, you're pretty much assigned, you know, a social worker, a case manager, um, in a lot of cases, and, you know, contact at the Cancer Society. And you get all these amazing things, um, you know, provided to you. And we really didn't get a lot of that until we got to the palliative care stage, which is when somebody has a terminal diagnosis. Mm. Um And when we got to that stage, we had, you know, like doctors coming around all the time. We had district nurses visiting. Um, You know, Mike used to get free parking at the hospital through the Cancer Society. Um, You know, I actually did a lot of it myself. And the reason for that was even though Mike was terminally ill, he wasn't as sick as some other people. When he was having um, his treatment, he was still highly functioning. He wouldn't be for about a week and then two weeks he'd be great and so that was a three-week cycle and then when he was out of chemo he was actually pretty fit and healthy um, part of his treatment plan was to go to the gym so yeah I didn't need a lot of help but I had a lot of offers which was amazing and I sort of I felt so grateful for that and I thought no I'm going to save these offers until I really really need them you know mm-hmm. um, so yeah, but there is a lot available, I think, if you contact through hospitals, through hospices, through cancer society, places like that. There's, you know, you can get cleaning, you can get hooking. Um, one thing that's super amazing is actually hooking into an occupational therapist. Okay. Um, a lot of people don't really sort of consider that. Um, but I tell you what, it makes life so much easier. They can come to your house and look at, you know, like how things are set up. Mm-hmm. Um, they look at uh, ways to conserve energy for their patients. So, um, yeah, it's just incredible. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, that's great. And in terms of, I guess, uh, dealing with, I'm going to say, the mental stress of the situation, was there much yeah. in the way of support there? There always is. So you can get counselling and support through places like the Cancer Society or um, palliative care teams or through the hospital. Uh, We had medical insurance, so we qualified for it um, privately as well. So Mike would go and see a psychologist quite regularly, Mm. um, sort of like, you know, once a month or something like that, especially for the first year because he was sick for... Um, or diagnosed for two and a half years before he passed away. So that's quite a long time to sort of know that you're on the journey to not being here. Yeah. Um, 
and also with all the medications and things like that like the first round of chemo um one of the side effects was almost like clinical depression and he had been suicidal and things like that and because I was at work I had no idea um so yeah that was quite a shock actually and quite hard to deal with but there was like always a lot of people to talk to I spent actually a lot of time talking to Mike's oncologist um and she was really awesome and it's kind of amazing that when you're in that sort of terminal illness stage you're surrounded by so many beautiful people at the hospital that do this for everybody so you've got you know chemotherapy nurses and um yeah the palliative care team's amazing you have the hospice people and then you have your oncologist and your oncologist becomes kind of like your family Mm. so you know they always make time for you and that really helped me because I had a lot of questions um and things that I wanted to ask like when Mike wasn't around either just so I kind of knew what to prepare for Yeah. yeah yeah okay um and I guess coming up to that time where his condition deteriorated um how to describe this i guess uh, look to be perfectly honest i haven't had someone close to me uh in that situation so it's very difficult for me to try and put myself in, in your shoes and really consider what it was you were considering i guess how are you feeling during that during that time it's like a, being a hamster on a treadmill that's exactly how it becomes actually um you know like towards the and i can reflect on things now you know retrospectively and look at how i was at the time because now i'm in a different place at yeah. the time if you'd asked me i would have thought that i was 100 percent fine and everything was okay and um I'd only cried twice that week, you know, that's a good week, you know. Um, But towards the end, like watching someone that you love, like really love hard, you know, your big love, just completely deteriorate physically. Um, And watching them suffer is horrendous. It is the most human thing that you can ever see. And, you know, I feel just so privileged to be able to be there to support him through that Mm -hmm. you give away a lot of yourself during that process because you really have to become selfless because it's not about you it's about you supporting them to move on and that's how I approached it I think everybody has a different experience and there's no right way and there's no wrong way to do it but how I did it was right well I know he's going to die. I just have to do every single thing that I can to help him tick off his bucket list, um, you know, do all the stuff with us that he wanted to do, create some memories together as a family before he transitioned. And, you know, leading up to it, he was in and out of hospital a lot more. So what happens is their health starts, well, Mike's health started to decline really rapidly mm. in a very short space of time. So he had... Um, his cancer had metastasized to his lungs. Um, he ended up with a collapsed lung and uh, bleeding and a whole lot of things, which I won't go into, but it's quite traumatizing because you see a lot of physical, horrible physical things, you know, and you're not really trained probably to psychologically deal with that stuff. Um, 
but you just keep going. And so by the time he passed away, I was so tired. I didn't even know what day of the week it was. And I was still working, still parenting. I was, you know, contacting friends and family to keep them in the loop with everything that was going on. Um, I was catching up with people that were coming down to Wellington. As you know, like most of our friends are in Auckland. Um, I was running around getting things that Mike needed. Um, yeah. I, when he died and they told me, because you know what? I wasn't even there, which is terrible. And I know it's not something to laugh about, but it's so ironic after being there for everything. And then I wasn't there when he died. I was in the hospital but they wouldn't let me see him because his condition had deteriorated so rapidly overnight and they weren't really expecting that. And so they went to give him some extra medication and said, you know, you go and have, take, you know, your family and stuff for a coffee or breakfast or whatever and come back. And just as we got back, he died. Wow. And um, I actually just felt like my whole physical body, I just felt like, being, I was overwhelmed with happiness for him that he didn't have to suffer and struggle with it anymore. And um, yeah, and it's quite weird. Like you sort of try and prepare yourself for that moment and you wonder what's going to happen and how you're going to be. But you really, yeah, actually people are a lot stronger than what they think. And that's something that I can say on reflection. You know, I, I really didn't know what was going to happen. I thought I might pass out or I don't know you know but um yeah it's a really weird thing wow okay and look I mean you, you talk about during that period you, you gave so much of yourself to that situation um when I guess how long after he passed were you able to start looking at giving some time to yourself yeah, probably, probably a few months afterwards. So the first two weeks, you actually go into shock, which is um, not something that's widely talked about, actually. So grief is one thing, but the shock of somebody passing away is another thing. And that is basically like a brain fog <laughs> that lasts for a couple of weeks. And you go to a really dark place it's not really fun at all and anyone who's been through this who's watching will totally understand what I mean and you know I was very lucky I was surrounded by beautiful friends and family that helped pick that stuff up you know for me they made sure that I was organized they came around and cleaned my house and you know helped you know get me ready for the funeral and you know we had a barbecue the next day so they all came around and did that stuff after that, so after about three or four days after the funeral, Ella and I actually went away back to Hawke's Bay, which is where I'm from, from Napier, to spend some time with our family, like my family. Yes. Um, and the reason that I wanted to do that was to try and sort of remember who I was yep. and who I was before I got married and before I became a serious grown-up. And um, I want, you know, I wanted to go past my school and I wanted to look at where I used to ride my bike and, you know, do my paper run and all that kind of stuff. And it actually really helped me. I, I, it grounded me. And in our family, we call it going back to your bones. That's what we do. So whenever a major life, major life event happens like that, we go back to our bones to remember where we're from. And then we rebuild from there. And so that, that's what we did. Um, 
it was actually also nice being in a different space where people didn't know that your husband had just died as well nice. because you're kind of surrounded by that for quite a long time mm. so it's when they're sick and oh sorry your husband's sick and he's got cancer that's terrible how are you doing which is you know it's so lovely that people ask you that when they die sometimes you just want to have a break from that for a bit yeah um and try and be in a bit of a different space and then from there i actually went back to work um probably within four weeks i was back at work working relatively full time again ella was back at school and both of us had a discussion about it and decided that for us being back in a routine was a good thing yeah um and we had both had a lot of support in those environments as well so sitting at home for me and i'm sure you'll agree if you've ever been in this position it's not like the nicest thing sometimes like it's really great for a couple of weeks it's a bit like covid if you can imagine covid you know everybody was like thinking wow this could be cool for a few weeks and then when it drags on you know longer and longer and longer you can kind of sit in your own head for a little bit too long and so I found going back to work quite healing for me and they're like my second family at work so um, I contract to the for the military actually so I have a lot of support um, have a lot of support there and Ella did at school and then apart from that it's been a gradual thing so I sort of had a bit of a experience where all of a sudden one day I woke up and I was just like far out I've got my whole life ahead of me I don't know what I'm doing Um, I've got a huge house Um, you know do I want to be in Wellington all these things just snowballed on top of me when I woke up one day and I had to really think back to what my coping strategies were when Mike was sick and a lot of that was you know taking each day by day hour by hour like not trying to think too far ahead because it gets really overwhelming um so yeah just just doing that sort of thing has really helped in planning small goals um for yourself yeah okay and look i mean you you talked about i guess dealing with with the shock of the experience and, and and you talked about grief being a separate situation unto itself can you talk to me a little bit around your process there yeah sure so in terms of grief grief is different for every person and every situation it's not ever the same there's similarities which um you know people talk about in the cycles of grief so you know people feel anger or they feel um you know all these different emotions but they don't feel them at the same time in, Mm. in the same order as other people it's a little bit like a washing machine with a mixed load it's pretty much like that everything's sort of thrown in so you don't really know what's going to come up but it's really helpful I guess understanding those different cycles to see it in yourself recognize it in yourself and recognize when you're struggling with something that you can't move forward from where you might need help um, so grief for me because Mike had been sick for a long time, I was comfortable with letting him pass over and go because I didn't want him to stay here being how he was uh, because that's that's not a life for anyone. So for me, I woke up and I thought, I've lost everything, my future, all the plans that we'd made. The grief was the grief of losing my future and myself. Um, 
you know, you sort of wonder if someone will ever love you as much in the future, which sounds like the weirdest thing, but when you have been loved by somebody, you sort of, yeah, is this it? You know, oh, the rest of my life's pretty much over now, so what am I going to do? And I made a conscious choice that, especially having a young teenage daughter, that it's really important to talk about your grief and understand it. I also wanted to be a really good role model for her because I didn't want her to think later in her life, if this, is hap- if this happens to her or it happens to one of my friends or someone that I know, that they'll just see me fall apart and, you know, not work on myself and not fight for my own future. You know, I wanted to show people that there's another way to do this. And the grief thing is something that you carry with you all the time it becomes part of who you are I call it mastering the art of the happy sad so you know you can be a little bit you can be happy so my baseline actually as a person is quite happy you don't know I don't know if you remember that no I remember you're always positive yeah (laughs) even when things weren't going so well there was there was still a a a light or or a, a silver side silver side Shiny light. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess so. And so that's just my default personality. So I'm always like that. And then I'd get these, you know, shadows of sadness that come along. And so instead of fighting them, I just embraced them and thought, you know, I am a happy person, but I'm actually okay to feel sad. I'm okay to feel sorry about for myself and everything I've lost, you know. But the key for me was to not feel sorry for myself for too long. Mm. Don't be sad for too long. Like you know, choose a time to do that and embrace it. You know, I went through many boxes of tissues. I know I look very brave now, but I have cried my little heart out at times and, you know, felt really sad for myself. But being happy and being just, you know, sort of like connecting with who you are naturally, your grief doesn't necessarily have to overtake that. And in time, it gets easier. So, you know, time does heal. So some other things that I did was, so Ella and I went to quite a few concerts and events and things like that, and Mike and I booked them before he passed away, and what that allowed us to do was, even though he wasn't here, we could take somebody with us that had really supported us through everything, Mm -hmm. and so that's what we did. We went to Queen, and we went to Michael Buble, and we went to the Beatles, um, show we've done heaps of things and I really didn't on the night feel like going but I'm so glad I did because what it did was it made me forget about everything like for an hour or an hour and a half or in particular Queen because Mike absolutely loved Queen it made us really think of him and that he was there with us and it was such a cool thing to do and so we started to build experiences and new experiences with other people and new memories and Mike was really there along with us. I totally believe that. And um, that's really helped as well. Um, yeah. That's lovely. Um, just to take you back, I mean, you, you talked about those times on Reflection where I guess you you were in it as such and, and the, the tissues were mounting up and such. Like, what, what sort of things were you able to do to help bring you out of that space? I don't know. I think that's different for a lot of people. And you'll probably hear me say that over and over through our whole conversation. But for me, so Mike died in at the end of August 
Mm-hmm. And then I went back to work for a few months. And then as a contractor, we sort of knock off mid-December and don't go back until mid-January, towards the end of January. I always knew that was going to happen. So I kind of allowed myself to be present to go through a lot of my really deep grief at that stage where I actually had the time and the space to do it. Um, you know, with the jobs that we have been doing for years, you probably remember, like, we can compartmentalise things quite well, actually. Mm. And so that's sort of what I did. I sort of, you know, I would take it out of its box a little bit. And then over that period of time, I really took it out of its box. And I remember I sort of cried, I think, every night for two weeks. And I was just so sad that Mike wasn't coming back um you know again like that we weren't going to do the things that Ella had lost her dad and you know all these things and I remember thinking after two weeks for goodness sake I cannot keep doing this you know Mike wouldn't want me to be like this he doesn't he knows I'm not a sad person and he said to me before he passed away you know be sad for a little bit man but don't be sad forever you know you're going to kick ass and you're going to be great but you know, and so that's what I sort of reflected on actually was that conversation. And from there, I actually thought to myself, right, well, what am I going to do now? And that's when I started moving forward a little bit and started planning smaller goals. And I sort of said to myself, right, I'm not, I don't want to go back into this place again. This is really horrible and yuck. So I think it's something that you have to work at. That's what I would say. Have you got much planned? to sort of, uh, I guess, one year anniversary as such? Yeah, we have actually. So one of the wishes that Mike had was he wanted his ashes turned into a diamond. Okay. And that's going to be made into a necklace, a pendant for Ella to wear. Wow. Um, which is pretty cool. And so what he didn't realise is that there's a lot of ashes left over. <laughs> and so we only need like this much right to make this diamond and to have a few backup diamonds so um we are scattering his ashes around the south coast in wellington and he always wanted to drive in an aston martin it was his dream aston martin was like his james bond fantasy i think yeah um and before he passed away he it was on his bucket list sorry that was the one thing he didn't do he'd booked it for ella and i to do with him and um yeah, he died before he could do it. So we are going to get one and we're going to drive his ashes around to the south coast and we're going to um, put them in the sea, which will be beautiful. That's, yeah, that's, and, that is very yeah. cool. And then we're also going to go to the driving range because that's the one thing Mike taught Ella and I both to play golf. Okay. So we go. <laughs> so that's how, that's how we stay connected with him. I yep. take Ella to the driving range and we hit, we hit balls. There you go. <laughs> So, I guess, what are you doing for yourself in the future at this time? So, what am I doing for myself? So, probably about, oh, at the beginning of COVID, actually, or before that, I came up with a concept for myself called the Year of Me and the Year of Fun. So, what that was all about was me getting into some activities and things that I've always wanted to do and um, planning those and then sort of COVID came along and um, squashed a lot of that stuff unfortunately and not just for me but for the whole planet Um, so I 
I started doing exercise actually, quite a bit of exercise and getting back into being fit again because, you know, that was one of the things that I wasn't able to do. Running a house, you know, looking after us, you know, caring for a, a sick husband and a teenager and animals and everything like that. So I've been doing that. Um, and Ella and I have been making some travel plans for the future, which is awesome. And, you know, bits and pieces and I'm also embarking on starting up a business at the moment which will be focused on supporting widows to help them move forward in their life so that's really exciting. Awesome that's cool so can you can you tell me a little bit more about that venture or is it, is it sort of too early at this stage a bit hush hush? <laughs> so we're, we're sort of in the planning part of it so I guess just a quick little um, rundown is so I'm going to be taking all of the experience that I have working with people for like 18 years um, and all of the change um, qualifications and experience that I've got as well and working on um, developing up some programs that will help women move forward which is awesome I'm super excited about it so I really think that this sort of stuff will make a difference for people yeah. um, it's all about improving your confidence. It's helping you sort of get on, on top of life admin. You know, like after someone passes away, there's a lot of processes that you have to go through. Um, and to have support to do that is awesome. You know, a lot of women struggle with, you know, giving away their partner's clothing or selling their house or, you know, understanding their finances or legal processes, that sort of thing. Mm. But then there's also, you know, um, you just lose so much self-confidence overnight because you're used to having that person next to you. Um, and you'll probably think about that in your marriage too. You know, if you didn't have your wife, it would be so hard, wouldn't it? Sometimes yeah. to make decisions and you sort of second guess yourself. Well, the programs that we're designing will really help people have confidence in themselves and they'll re rediscover themselves. They'll find a new purpose and they will start moving forward, which is really awesome. So we're looking at launching sort of early September. So you'll have to watch this space, basically. Awesome. Well, it sounds great. And listen, man, I think it's amazing that you've taken something that is a real tragedy to, for, for anyone to experience and turn that into a situation not only to help yourself, but, but others who um, potentially are going through or, or are going to be going through that in the future. So. Um, I commend you on that. And listen, I do thank you yeah. so much for your time this evening. It's been really great listening to your experience. And I think, look, grief is, is, a, is a difficult one. There's a lot of emotion uh, involved. And look, it, it could be a loss of someone through, um, I guess, a long-term illness. It could be a sudden loss. Um, even d divorce and separation in those ways, I mean, still a grieving process exists and I think that aspects that you discussed tonight that people can apply no matter what um, form of grief you're going through and yes everyone has to go through it their, their own way and, and there'll be different experiences that they take on at different times but there's some certainly some underlying principles in terms of that expression and having that support network around you um, that remain uh, there regardless so um, yeah it's it's a, all, all I can say is thank you and, and I wish you all the best um, in your future endeavours because I know you have an opportunity to help a lot of other people. So cheers. Thank you.
Nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me on.